Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm not sure everybody saw that video. I want to congratulate Matt once again for the productions uh, and the level quality of that video. So thank you, Matt. I'm not sure everyone heard it. I am here on Office Hours. We are here with the double B himself, Blaine Bartlett. Hey! LMM man himself, the incredible mastermind himself, the mentor of mine. Thank you for joining me, Blaine. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's been uh, a, a, a dark and de uh, desolate two weeks where I haven't been able to be here. So I'm glad to be back oh, in the saddle. Please don't say that because I know you're on your anniversary trip to Hawaii. We want to yeah, refer to it as dark and desolate. So uh, <laughs> it was an enjoyable uh, journey, I am sure. And we are blessed today to have an extraordinary lineup, as always. And our first is what I call a real author. Uh, she's a best-selling author, Maria Sutro, uh, and has a new book release, The Darkest Obsessions. And so um, it's an amazing series that you're building. But Maria, the reason I say you're a real author is that Blaine and I live in the self-development world. And uh, in that world, we have the same genre of books again and again. Extremely interesting, extremely uh, in enhancing, empowering, inspirational, uh, but they're really not enjoyable in the sense that they're not entertaining. And your novels uh, are extremely entertaining. Uh, and I can't wait for them to come up with a Netflix series based off of <laughs> your series. Um, how did you get into, which is a unique uh, type of writing today, just mystery novels in themselves? What, what are those personality traits that led you to be a novelist and create such great mysteries? Well, thank you for the kind praise, David. I appreciate it. But I do. But before I get into the mystery genre, I do just want to pitch back an idea, which is if not for folks like you writing personal growth books and challenging us all to, to step out of our comfort zones and, and to really actually grow, then there wouldn't be folks like me who take those journeys. So thank you for doing that. Perfect marriage. Beautiful. Uh, in terms of the mystery genre, it, it goes back and it, it kind of has roots in two places. Um, when I was a little girl, my mom had a rule as of a certain age, you didn't get to sleep in bed with mom and dad anymore. And there was one caveat. And as, as business folk, I'm sure you can appreciate this. Uh, the caveat was that if you went into bed with mom while she was reading, and if you were reading, it was okay. And you could stay. So I was a little girl, I couldn't read yet, but I brought my picture books, right? Because it was a way to extend the time. And over time, I fell in love with books. I fell in love with reading. I really became obsessed with the mystery genre and solving puzzles. And I don't know, here's where the other piece comes in. I don't know if that had to do with the family lineage. My dad was a San Francisco police cop. Uh, my grandfather was, and my great-grandfather was. So it might have been a little bit in the DNA. And I just, I gobbled up every type of mystery I could. I started out as a little girl with, uh, I don't know if you know the Encyclopedia Brown series. Oh, I love, yes. A big yeah, girl. yeah, good times. Who stole whose lunch pail and all sorts of intrigues in grammar school. And went on to Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. And eventually to... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. So uh, just always been a passion of mine and, and always loved solving puzzles. It's interesting because I think it more obvious is the genetic or energetic inheritance when your parents are uh, 
police or or welcome back, Blaine. Um, Thanks. When your parents are police, you you have this natural. But I really think it's interesting, Marie. On you know, Dennis Waitley was one of my mentors. Talk about impactful people that allow you. And uh, ironically, Dennis Waitley, there's a line that I love that he taught me. Uh, we're planting seeds under trees that we may never sit under. Um, and to that respect, um, it's amazing because I see these things that happen in our childhood, like our parents allowing us to prolong the time that we spend with them in bed if we were reading, <laughs> then having a huge impact on our life. Uh, and I know there's several things, you know, that I was brought up in for every gift I received, I had to give one of mine away uh, during the holidays or birthdays. I had to pick a toy uh, and give it away when I received a toy. And that has carried on in my life in so many different ways. Um, in that respect, uh, which one do you think has a more powerful you know, impact that genetic kind of everyone in my family is a cop or in them around mysteries or more just the love of reading and writing that comes from a practice that your parents, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I, I got brought into meditation this way. They, they kind of played us a little bit, right? They, 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 they planted a seed on purpose and a little bit in the parental manipulation for positive results. Uh, which one has had a greater impact? you know, what your parents kind of taught you or what you watched uh, them do uh, as a profession and, and as an interest? I would say um, just because, you know, we talk about muscle memory and how sense will bring us back in, in a heartbeat to a specific moment in time and how powerful that is. Uh, I would say it's those experiential influences. Um, those memories of being cuddled up and just the, the warmth of my mom next to me and what that meant. And it, and it ended up being this lifelong thing between us, this special relationship where we'd swap back books back and forth. And to this day, having her uh, still be here to be able to read my work is first and foremost, the biggest honor for me. And it, it means so much to me. So uh, I think the genetics are important, uh, but I also think that, that that investment of time by parents whether it's something that's a, a almost a quid pro quo, like what you had um, and, and what I had, uh, or whether it's just that investment of their time being next to you in the same room and, and what they're doing with that time really matters. You know, the, and um, it's good to be back, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the idea of you know, history informing you know, kind of how I see the world today as a writer um, and yeah, I'm certainly, you know, David and I, and I'll just speak for both of us here, we don't pretend to write in the same way that you do uh, at all. Um, and we both write. Uh, I remember, I mean, I could read by the time I was about four years old. Uh, and my, my very first job was, and this really was my very first job. My dad owned a grocery store and we had a magazine rack and Every Wednesday, he would go to the distributor and pick up the bundles of magazines. And my first job was to stack the rack. And I would get my choice of six, five, five or six comics uh, that I could read. And that was how I learned to read was Marvel Comics, DC Comics, Sergeant Remy, all that stuff going way back when. But it, what was interesting about this, this is where I'm going with it, is it opened up worlds that I never knew existed. The imagination, because I could sit... 
in the back room of uh, the store uh, that dad had, and I would just disappear. I would just disappear into this other world completely. So when you started writing a mystery, what was the catalyst for that? Now, I know your, your, your history with your, you know, your grandfather, your father, I mean, your great-grandfather all the way back here. But you could have gone a number of different directions, I'm assuming. What was it about mystery that kind of pulled you into that genre that you became such exquisitely proficient at? Thank you. I, uh, I think a big part of it as well is part of what drew me to puzzles is bringing a sense of order to chaos. Mm. And in the mystery genre, whether it's a theft of material goods or a theft of a life, there's chaos that's, that's erupted. And I think that there is a desire inside of me. And I, I, I feel like when I talk to fans of the mystery genre, it resonates pretty uniformly throughout that we want to bring order to chaos. When something has happened and a transgression has occurred, we want to right the ship. And I think there's a hopefulness in that for humanity mm -hmm. that we're, we're hoping that even if there are um, ne'er-do-wells out there, that the rest of us or, or, or someone somewhere, some hero can step in. And, and, and when you're dealing with what, what I do, which is crime solving in the police context, it is a group of individuals. It's a larger community. It's not just the hero detective, but it's the um, crime scene forensic folks. And it's the people who work in the courthouse and it's everybody. So it's a, it's a whole community. And I think that's part of the hope that's inherent in that draws me to it. Mm -hmm. And one of the other advantages in writing, I think, mystery is that there's so many lessons and stories out there to start off with and so many variables that we can change and make our own uh, comparatively. Uh, I find it extremely entertaining. It's the basis of, I think, one of the longest series of television, Law and Order, where they're just sifting through all the cases and statutes and uh, all the police records in order to find, you know, interesting, pertinent, pre prevalent content. Uh, but then they have the freedom of making the story even better and putting twists and turns and surprises uh, into it, especially the ending. Uh, do you use uh, certain existing stories uh, since you have the relationships in the uh, first responder police environment to uh, create the the stories and, and modify, or is it all channeled through the universe? And you know, it's just the exposure to the genre that has inspired you to write such you know really entertaining mysteries. Well, it's I would say it's an amalgam of the two. I do extensive research. I meet with people. I do firsthand interviews. Uh, in addition to online and, and textual research. But lots of times what I like to do is I like to shore up my stories. They're always fictional, but I like to shore them up. And you'll often hear actual cases brought up where the detectives will cite, you know, in the, uh, in the first case, there's a reference to Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer. Um, and so there's, there's different ones that really shore up this fictional world that I'm creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an element of truth always enhances the fictional's construct so that it becomes indistinguishable. 
Well, we appreciate it. Oh, go ahead, Blaine. Yeah. No, I was, gonna, I was just kind of one, one last piece that I wanted to just kind of you know, you know, touch on here. Um, and, and it had to do with writing what I know best. And also there, there's a notion, and I'll just check this out with you real quick, Marie. The idea that, that, I mean, David and I write for impact, you know, and there's a societal impact, you know, that kind of you know, informs a lot of our writings. Yeah, I remember one of the one of the books that most impacted me in my life was a science fiction book by you know, Robert Heinlein, you know, Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh, and I don't know that, you know, he was writing for impact, but it certainly had that impact. Is there an impact germ in, in, in your desire, you know, for what, you, what it is that you bring to the world? There is. And, and people ask me sometimes, you know, there's a whole range of how you can approach mystery. And my work tends to get a little dark in terms of the reality of what happens um, when law enforcement is following up on crimes and, and, and trying to solve them. And for me, that element that comes in is the need to tell the toll that it takes on the people who do this work. And really that psychological analysis is really important to me. Like I said, coming back to the community, coming back to the individuals who are involved, that's one of the most important things to me is to get into the heads of the people who do this work because it does take a toll. You know, there's so many bells you can't unring, whether it's sights and smells, and they're in their heads forever and in their hearts forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we certainly enjoyed it and appreciate it and uh, look forward to the entire series. And if you need any help, uh, getting it as a uh, TV series. We love to talk to you about developing this as well with our Apple TV opportunity that we have. What an extraordinary, um, entertaining uh, genre of books, and we appreciate it. We look forward to the next one. Make sure everyone grabs a copy of this one, uh, her newest book release, Dark Obsessions. If you want to be thoroughly entertained, I suggest it's a little riveting, be careful if you read it before you go to bed, though. Uh, you may <laughs> may not sleep well, uh, or you may not sleep at all because you have to finish it. Anyway, thank you so much. Check out Marie Sutro, mariesutro.com. Dark Obsessions is a must-read. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Marie. Take, Take care. care. Awesome. That uh, was great. Yeah, she's amazing. We don't get, you know, it's funny because we don't get many novelists uh, on here. We get a lot of authors. Uh, yeah. A variety of, you know, instructional books, self-development books. Um, but uh, it's really nice to have a, a, a real writer, I would call I, <laughs> a yeah, real old school, old school, entertaining writer that you can make, yeah. movies, make movies from. So, uh, all right, Matt's patiently waiting. Uh, the, there other we go. the one without the Dodger hat, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the CEO of Black Box Collective, blackboxcollective.io. Matt Robertson, sorry. Uh, and, you know, I, th this is incredible how people are integrating NFTs into a variety of different platforms and the different opportunities. Obviously, anything around collectives uh, is an area that uh, Web3 and uh, NFT membership and fractionalized ownership of membership and a variety of other authenticated, authenticated uh, ownership uh is really the capabilities that apply to what you're doing as, as I see. Um, let's talk a little bit about applying the capabilities of Web3 uh, to 
your uh, collective and what Black Box Collective is trying to do with that capability? Yeah, sure. So what we've done is built a platform. It's, it's, it's basically a ride sharing platform for private jets. And we have 3,500 um, access passes to, to our membership. And what that does is allows us to members to log in, pay with crypto. You can connect their passports, travel documents. So you're, you're logging in one just one time, one time onboarding. And you can also with a normal jet card that you have today, you can't sell those hours if you pay for them. Now, if you have an NFT membership, you can resell that on the secondary market. You can transfer that to a friend and the security that you have within the platform. When you're interacting with other members, you have a sense of security that the people on board have been KYC They're, um, you know, they're legit because our platform is going to allow people to share these flights. So if, if, I'm sure you're aware of empty leg flights and things like that mm -hmm. with, with these yeah. jets. And that's a big problem for these charter companies. And so they're losing money on the empty leg flight. But what we're trying to do is allow our members to proactively see those empty leg flights, get alerts on their phones, be able to take take those empty leg flights, save money. And then in the process of doing that, you're splitting with other people too, bringing the cost down. So in general, the whole price, it's, it's going to lower the operating costs for the charter company themselves. And then it's going to lower the cost to the customer to book the flight too. So we're hoping to bring the, the cost down to a more affordable place where these, you know, young entrepreneurs and CEOs and innovators actually now their time is money, right? So they can actually now have that as an option to take that charter jet to, to get to the places they need to go to save that time. Yeah. That, yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, by, you, know, you, you buy by using crypto. Given what's going on in that space right now, what has happened to your revenue model? I right. just have to ask. So, so yeah, um, exactly. This, it's, a, it's a bad market now, but what we've done is we've had to just adjust the cost of the NFT that we're selling up front yeah. based off of that. So we given our members, uh, we're, we're letting them know due to market uh, conditions now, we do, we're having to up the price as far as the entry fee for that. But in a sense of at, when we're taking money for flights, we have systems in place where it'll automatically convert it to a stable coin. So it protects against volatility. So if we're using a, a, an escrow contract, if you've got six people flying on a jet, money goes into an escrow contract and it automatically converts to a stable coin. So you're not, uh, the volatility doesn't affect you there. So we, yeah, we've kind of protected ourselves against that, but yes, unfortunately launching a project in this market now is not, uh, not optimal. So. Hey, that's why entrepreneurs get the big bucks. Hey, well, let's hope. Yeah. So if we can make it through this market and come out the other side of it, now we're doing something. Yeah. yeah. More, more millionaires and billionaires are made in tough times than in good times. So, uh, you have that going for you for sure. Um, it's comparatively, and I don't need to know uh, hard numbers, but uh, I've been a part of this space for a long, long time. Um, and I've seen all the models evolve uh, along the way from fractionalized ownership to different memberships, to social memberships with jet service, to empty legs, to EXO, and the kind of group uh, private uh, hybrid uh, that exists for the people that just don't want to deal with security in, in a commercial airport. 
We lose you, David. We lost David there. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. He and I both are having some connection issues today. Uh, so glad it's not me. Yeah. Um, I'll just pick up here a thread. It'll be a little bit different than where David was going, I think. But yeah, you were talking about, you know, my dad used to run uh, trucking lines. Uh, that's one of the things that, yeah, serial entrepreneur, he did a bunch of different things. Yep. But uh, dead hauling was always the bane of what he was doing. You know, these yep. empty legs coming back. Yep. Yeah. Is what you're doing with Black Box, is it, is it primarily organized around these empty legs? coming back or can that, that's just oh. a feature yeah that's, that's just, just a, a feature. feature okay yeah we're allowing the the charter company when they come on board to our platform when they when they onboard their their fleet and their customers they'll have the option in, within our platform to adjust the price of the empty leg so if they really need to sell that empty leg because you know la to new york then they can adjust it to a point where the customer takes the flight so it's kind of like yeah. a bidding bidding system there so the empty leg, that is a feature that's going to help out the charter company. But what we're more kind of concerned with is, is bringing the community together. So it's kind of like bringing the Web3, you have the chance to bring the community into a Web2 booking system where now the community is bunched together where I'm in Atlanta. So the people in Atlanta would know when I book a flight from Atlanta to New York, everybody in Atlanta will get an alert saying, Hey, he's, he's leaving at five o'clock tomorrow. Let's jump on. If I want them to share, I don't have to share, but if you wanted mm -hmm. to share, then the, I've got four seats open. You can jump on with me. And then the guys in, in New York will know that the flight's coming and then they can take it and split the daily rate when they get up there. So you're splitting the money. So it's a coordination thing that yeah. we're bringing to the, the, the traditional booking, bringing the web three coordination is going to, you know, that let the system work. That near me, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter Diamandis talks about democratization, yeah, democratization, digitization, and distribution. One of the things that you're doing there is democrat, you know, democratizing the access. Yes. Yeah, anybody can have access to this. This is and then and then the distribution piece of it, yeah, distribution with the information, yeah, you know, from a digital perspective. I mean, all of that drives costs down and it makes services and products so much more accessible yes so that convergence web 3.0 you know with the web 2.0 i mean it's beautiful and i love that you're leveraging that in the way that you're doing it yeah it's all just just supply chain it's it's moving the fleet around making sure the passengers know when and where the fleet is landing to be able to take it to the next place so so you're reducing the empty legs it's all about I mean, it's a win-win on either side. It's the, it's the charter company is winning because we're, we're reducing their operating costs. The customer's winning because they're, they're being able to share the flights. And then on top of that, you got the green aspect too. You're taking some of these empty flights. You got five CEOs going from LA to New York and maybe taking one jet. But well, if they wanted to make an impact or if they care, you know, they could We'll all share a jet together and leave those four other jets on the ground and be, be more eco-friendly yeah. that way. So that's the one way to look at it too. Well, yeah, there, there's a, there's a hidden benefit in that. And I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll just pick up on the example you use all of a sudden I got three or four other CEOs sitting with me that I probably wouldn't have had access to. Exactly. Uh, and now, the, the, yeah, I mean, it, it's the office cooler, uh, the water cooler talk that starts to generate some fascinating ideas and, and, and possibilities about, hey, let me connect this dot with that dot and away we go. I'd be That's very it. interested to know how many deals get born <laughs> on these flights. That's what that would be we, very uh, interesting to we're, we're, 
we're kind of angling that way too to once we get the word out we're kind of in the phase where we're now starting to market we've built our got our mvp of our of our web app and our mobile app so now it's marketing time right so as soon as people start to figure out what we're building and there's only 3500 of these passes when you're flying around with people that are flying charter anyway just like what you said there you're going to have the other entrepreneurs the other innovators the other ceos flying around with you and just think about all the network that you have within this group of people and the business connections and that that's the most exciting thing to me you know that's yeah it's one thing my, my granddad did when i was a kid he built a uh, a golf course and he's like you know why i built this golf course he's like because that's Not where business that's i like golf and that's where business happens that's why i built that golf course so yeah. that's why he did that so this is kind of similar thing to what we're doing here so yeah well, it's a very very smart thing what i like most about black box collective it's a great example of what we'll see in the future for web 3.0 that we're taking traditional businesses and we're applying the capabilities instead of utilizing it as a product right so an nft is actually a capability it's not a product and so when you confuse an nft with a collectible then the value of a collectible is consistent over time meaning that whether it's a, a piece of art or a statue or a baseball card, there's a small percentage of collectibles that are worth anything. Very small percentage comparatively to the uh, supply of those collectibles. There's so much art in the world, but comparatively there's very few pieces of art. There's tons of statues in the world. There's tons of baseball cards in the world. Very few are worth anything. But when we start to see NFT-based businesses that utilize the capabilities of web 3.0 then we're really talking about the efficiencies the effectiveness the statistical success and value that the capabilities are providing us the same way that the internet provided us capabilities wireless created capabilities now web 3.0 is creating the same capabilities uh, to allow us to make more money help more people and have more fun uh, that's what we're talking about with black box collective matt robertson check them out it's a although the nft space is a little bit squirrely this is a great way for transferable saleable resellable uh membership to be utilized in the private jet space uh and also good for the environment and good for your pocketbook so thanks for joining us matt i look forward to learning more please send me some information uh i'm interested in the membership myself well, uh, do, gentlemen. I what i heard yeah. yes sir let, let, let us know matt yeah, thank you very much, guys. You bet, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, we just need to play. We just need a big runway on Woobie Island, and I can get there, get rid of all the things I hate about going to Woobie Island. Just fly hey, right in from San. I got, Island. I got a runway. I, I got a naval air station just up the, <laughs> the tip of the island here. Nice. <laughs> get my well, senator to let us fly in. Yeah, see if we can get that going. We could, we we could really generate some uh, great home values if you can fly in and out of that island. Anyway, last but not least, we have office hours. I have uh, Ryan waiting patiently. Ryan and, uh, Ryan's more on the genre of our normal guest, right? He's the CEO of High Performing Coach. He's a high performing coach himself, high performing dot coach. Uh, this is right up our alley. Uh, we are looking for people that are helping other people mm -hmm. pursue their potential. Um, and I'm going to start with an interesting question uh, credibility. Uh, you're an author yourself, a coach, uh, an expert uh, in, in your space of personal and professional development. 
Um, but with the enormous amount of people who claim to be performance coaches, and I come from a very high level uh, background in sports, uh, and performance coaches were probably utilized first in sports before executives. And uh, as a high performing coach, how have you found uh, in your marketing to have the credibility separating you from you know a 25 year old uh, that hasn't done anything themselves that claims to be a high performing coach? Mm. Well, first of all, I just want to say I came in at the back end of the last conversation, but he had me at golf. <laughs> um, so it's a great. You are a true Scott. You are a true, true Scotsman. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's a great question, and the kind of questions I never really bother about myself because with these things, the proof is always in the pudding. You know, so people people have an experience and they know what they're getting through the experience, and I think it's obvious where people are at. Uh, based on the way that they show up and the language that they speak. Um, and if somebody resonates with where they're at, they're going to meet. And if they don't, they won't. So so I'm, I'm happy with that. And everybody's going to start somewhere. So if there's a new kid on the block calling himself a high-performing coach, I'm his biggest champion. And if he wants my help, I'll show him how to jump higher and help his clients jump higher. Um, and uh, Or if he's somebody that's got more experienced in me i'm going to use that for inspiration so you 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 not only coach your clients and i talked about your clients executives and what not and who not that you work with but for the purpose of what we're looking at today here i want to i'm I'm interested in exploring how you coach coaches how you're actually because that's kind of what i'm understanding you really wanting to pay some attention to how do we develop high performance coaches yeah and yeah, I've I've been yeah. And David knows this as well as uh, anybody, but I've been I, I've been coaching for forty plus years before we even called it coaching. Yeah, and to the point that uh, was made just a bit earlier here, a lot of people call themselves performance coaches, but they don't really have the chops to pull it off. Uh, in in a in a uh, what's the word? I, in a replicatable fashion. Mm. So with the work you do with the coaches with whom you work. What's the model that you bring to that conversation? Well, first of all, we're showing, we're showing them how to do something they've never done before, which is how, how do you build a high fee online business and how do you do all of that from the heart? And in, as, as they bump up against all of the newness of all of that, it brings up all of their stuff, their limiting belief structure, the challenges of what it takes to learn something new, breaking through old patterns, and then we, we use those opportunities to help them develop a much stronger mindset. We use those opportunities to help them learn. This is what it takes to create breakthrough after breakthrough, even though your mind is telling you there's no evidence, it can't be done, it's not possible. So in the process of, of laying out a strategy for them to build their business, this is where they bump up against all their edges. And then we show them, okay, this is how you deal with it. So for me to, to be a successful coach, whether it's high performing or a relationship coach, is about having a strategy that works, but being solid in, internally. So we're teaching what I call unshakable belief, how to be aware of what's going on inside of you, how to interact with it, how to develop a, a, a conscious relationship to the way that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you speak, so that you can evolve yourself as a human being. And that's going to be useful in any spectrum of coaching because at the end of the day, it's about helping people get out of their own way so we teach coaches how to do that first. Then the insight is theirs to give to their clients. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead, David. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, it's really interesting. Uh, We're talking today about Dennis Waitley and his great line of planting seeds under trees that you'll never sit under and the influence that Marie, her family uh, is a police, uh, a cop family. And she writes, you know, murder mysteries and police mysteries. And, you know, I'm listening to you and I know you have some relatives, one in particular, uh, Matt Busby, uh, who was the manager of Manchester United, uh, which is one of the most significant roles you can play in Europe uh, mm. of, of all, maybe even sometimes more than some prime ministers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's regal in nature. And, and you were his nephew or great nephew. And you've been around and coaching to, like Blaine, you know, over 20,000 hours of coaching. But yet what stands out to me is you have uh, a spirituality in your vernacular you have an abundant energy uh, that goes beyond, you know, the background and seeds that have been planted. I, I would love for you to share, uh, you know, what you've read or what you've been to exposed to, because it sounds like to me the foundational principles of your coaching are in abundance and awareness. Uh, it goes far beyond pragmatic uh, practices that yeah. you have a very, high frequency of awareness and enlightenment. And it sounds as if you've been exposed to uh, some other genres of leaders and coaches mm-hmm. and sports, uh, even mm-hmm. though you have some seeds from your you know, great uncle, Matt, uh, yeah. it sounds like you, you have some other influences. What are some of those more spiritual influences that I'm hearing as you're, you're indicating getting out of your own way and the consciousness and, and awareness? Hmm. Uh, well, first of all, my great uncle, Matt, was the only other person in my family to have red hair. <laughs> so, uh, it was just like some strange anomaly, right? Um, so it, it's cool that you share what you're sharing and whatever you're picking up, because it's not in my bio, what you just said, right? And I know that we're just meeting for the first time. So it's validating to hear you guys say that. And, um, you know, I, I worked at a very high level with a company called Landmark who for me, they're the apple of personal development. And, um, you know, I'd I'd went through some major transformational stuff on my own, and they crystallized everything I had learned and been going through on my own for a couple of years. So when I met Landmark, it was like coming home and off like a rocket. And after a few years, you know, I, I wanted more. I wanted more freedom than any organization could give me. I wanted to express myself, which you can't do when you're under somebody else's inspiration, you've got to go and do your own thing. So, um, so I would say a lot of my early inspiration came from, from that experience, but it was just the start. And actually most of my inspiration now has came from all the, am I able to swear? Yeah. yeah you're doing fine. I mean, I'm going to do it anyway. It's Jack, all the- Can- Jack Canfield says it's a form of genius to swear. Yeah. Well, yeah. All, you know, my main <laughs> inspiration was basically all the shit that I had to go through. You know, all those breakdowns, namely with relationships. So most of my transformations came from all this stuff I could not break through in my love life. And um, but what it taught me was all of the places I was attached. What it taught me was all of the place I was needy or in my fantasies about who people really are, all my naiveties and all the innocence that had to be broken through, you know. And, and if you ask me, Five months ago, what was my biggest fear? I honestly couldn't tell you because I felt I broke through all of them. Um, but then I realized... <laughs> You're kidding, kitty. kitty. <laughs> yeah, and then I realized, you know what? My biggest fear was actually getting my heart broken. 
yeah. you know, wanting somebody, loving somebody and not being able to have that return. And I, and when I went through that in my life, it, it, it basically gave, it gave me a rebirth because when you can face down your biggest fear and come through the other end, you realize nothing can get in your way because it's, yeah. it's all, in, it's all in the mind anyway. So um, in, in the process of dealing with my life, yeah, this is how I got to develop whatever I've really developed. And what it was about was beyond just thinking and getting into your heart and allowing yourself to feel rather than thinking you're not supposed to feel because you're a guy or you shouldn't show weakness because, you know, I, I, I broke through all of that crap because it's all nonsense. I'm a human being. I know who I am and I allow myself to feel. And in, in, in allowing myself to feel the way I am, what I'm really doing is connecting with myself yep. and accepting my whole self. And then you create a space for all this wisdom to enter, which doesn't get to enter when you're blocking what's really going on inside of you. So, so the biggest inspiration was actually reconnecting to myself. Yeah. And that's not, that's not something that you're going to learn in a, uh, in a scholastic environment. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, no. Which, which kind of goes, you know, you mentioned Landmark. Uh, the predecessor to Landmark was a, you know, an organization called EST. Yep. The first CEO of EST was my best man. Cool. Uh, and, and this goes back a long ways. Oh, yeah. uh, but I, 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 uh, you, know, you, you mentioned your, 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 your uncle, your great uncle. Um, but there's another Scottish uh, fellow that I'd like to bring in. Just a, yeah, a couple of things here. Have you heard of Thomas Troward? No. No. Okay. You need, and this is me coaching you right now. You need to go pick up Thomas Troward's work. Scottish jurist. Late 1900s, some of the most phenomenal coaching material you will ever find. He's got a, you know, his Edinburgh lectures uh, speaks to, and this is one that I'll pull from right now, entering mm-hmm. into the spirit of it, entering mm-hmm. into the spirit of it. And the idea of spirit is exactly what you teach, what you work with, how you work with your clients. And yeah, you know, I, I love where you're coming from on this, Ryan. I mean, it it, it is the difference that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. Pro forma, you know, you know, techniques. Anybody can teach that, but yeah, you, know, you got to be able to you know move beyond that, and you can't yeah. do that unless you've been there yourself. Exactly, exactly. And, yeah, and, and it, it really is about that. I I teach coaches a method called no method. <laughs> yep. And it's like, okay, now you got the you got the basics and you've you've worked through what you worked through. Go and just be free to trust your instincts and yep. intuition, draw on your own experience and get really edgy, do things that maybe you thought you weren't supposed to, and go and discover your own uniqueness. I, I kind of call it your artistic artistic license because for me, coaching is an art form. It is. It's, so it's I a spiritual and an art form. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and as the deeper that we can go with ourselves, of course, the deeper we can we can take our clients. Uh, the recommendation that you gave is really appreciated. How do you spell his last name? T R W A R D. Thomas Troward. Right. And you know, you know, Blaine is you know, Blaine Parrish has just put something in the chat. You know, for the folks that are uh, watching and listening here, uh, the Edinburgh lectures and the door lectures. Uh, it's phenomenal stuff. Great. Yeah. Dense yeah. and deep reading, but it's good. Yeah, yeah. you won't regret it. Yeah, I appreciate really, it. Yeah, those are, that's one of the recommendations, uh, by the way, Ryan, that I took from Lane as he has coached me through the years. And uh, I'm still 
unraveling the onion. So it's something you'll be reading for the rest of your life as many <laughs> of the other things with like the Course in Miracles uh, that I read every day. Um, it's um, just it, it, exciting to see uh, how you're giving back uh, to the community. And uh, I want to also tell you that a year from now I will be doing, I got hired to do a mastermind in Scotland and we're going to play St. Andrews as well. So oh, wow. if uh, you're, you're still over there at all in a year from now, uh, we would love to have you swing by uh, the mastermind and maybe we'll play some golf together as well. Uh, a true high performing coach, an abundant human being, one who's here on our mission to empower others, to empower others. He has a free two hour interactive online workshop to help coaches uh, discover uh, what's holding them back to break through, what's interfering with their health, their happiness, their wealth, and their worthiness. Uh, that's what I love about the paradigm shift that things like Aston Landmark and TLC even uh, that Blaine and I belong to the Transformation Leadership Council with Jack Canfield and many, many others from Reverend Beckwith and uh, Mrs. Lisa Nichols and Jim Quick. It's uh, one of the biggest blessings Blaine has ever and Cynthia has ever done for me is to brought me into that group. Uh, check out Ryan Matthew, highperforming.coach. You will not regret it. Come join us. Uh, we have other shows. We'd love to learn more from you and with you. Does that sound fair? Sounds great. And I appreciate the connection and I appreciate the conversation. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. What a Pleasure great. to meet you. Uh, it was funny because we had such unique guests uh, to start and then you know, it moved into a more common area and then to end with the most common, someone that's probably of all of our thousands of guests that we've had on these shows, you know, this guy's so aligned with us. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we all have something to learn. You know, I love when we get friends together, like, oh, have you ever read, you know, Marcus Aurelius or have you ever read <laughs> Court of Miracles or, you know, uh, yeah. you know, uh, like even Michael Singer or somebody. It, it's so interesting. You can't read it all. And I thought for sure that he was a student of Trout already. From he's he's gonna love that stuff. Anyway, what's your takeaway for the day, my friend? Hey, um, <laughs> that serendipitous weaving. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, if you just looked at the uh, the show notes, it's kind of you know. And I looked at this and went, these are you know three completely different genres. But when you when you're open to just being present, the richness that can come through simply through a conversation of curiosity. Tell me more about that. You kind of lean in, tell me more. You find ways that things are connected. And uh, I mean, this for me, you know, today's session has been a lesson uh, reiterated uh, about just being present, just being present and letting it run. Yeah. Not any preordained outcome or you know, spot that I need to land on. But if I'm present, it's going to turn out just fine. And that's, I, I think, you know, the biggest lesson, uh, big, big, biggest takeaway from today. Mine may be obviously the one that stayed here for the entire show, but mine is, you know, Dennis Waitley's uh, famous line, planting seeds like under trees that we may never sit under. And you can see the influence of seeds and you can see the influence with Marie and her whole family that are cops and police officers in the, that field. And then with Matt, uh, you could see the influence from his grandfather. I'm not sure it was not so subtle about how the seeds of the importance of golf and the higher echelons of business is done, not necessarily in the boardroom, 
uh, in utilizing the capabilities of NFTs and Web3 in order to facilitate uh, the private jet business development world. And then, you know, it was very obvious to me uh, the seeds that were planted in Ryan's life, not only by his great uncle, who was, you know, one of the greatest sports figures when you're the manager of you know, Manchester Man, United, you're very well known worldwide. Uh, but more importantly, even uh, was the influence of Landmark. And, you know, everyone goes through a quantum shift. And for me, you know, ironically, it was the movie The Secret, which you and I are in the sequel of it, uh, The Secret Beyond the Secret or whatever it was uh, on Netflix. Uh, for me, you know, it's just that first opening of, huh, change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. And once again, Thomas Troward, like you said, or uh, the Edinburgh uh, area, like all the different things I read, it's just amazing that you, when you're 54 or 70 years old, it doesn't matter. You still, I think, have to have an awareness that there, there's seeds being planted at 54 and 70 for trees that, you know, those people who are influencing us may never sit under. And it's fun because some of those seeds are planted by young people on TikTok or Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the Bob Proctors of the world, the Dennis Waitleys, the Zig Ziglers, the Mike Bosworths, the Blaine Bartletts, the Cynthia Kersey's, the Mary Morrissey's, and the Sharon Lecters, all of those great friends, and Jack Canfield and John Asaroff that are, have planted seeds in my life. It actually can be a 19-year-old uh, that are planting those seeds as well. So thank you, everyone, for joining us, uh, especially Blaine Bartlett. Great to have you back. Go ahead. What do you got? Friday, tomorrow, there is a launch that needs to be addressed season two office hours on apple tv hosted by and co-hosted by a whole galaxy of stars i mean we got some amazing people and people you guys have got to tune in on this thing it is absolutely phenomenal the guests that we have on this uh this uh season and the the lessons we were able to bring out the lessons we're able to bring out are even better than the 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 fame power, the star power will draw them in to watch it, but the lessons will keep them there. Uh, the stories and the lessons are incredible. It's the greatest show I've ever created. Uh, no offense to all the other shows I do, uh, but season <laughs> two office hours just sets the standard for the rest uh, of the seasons I'm going to do on all the other shows I'm involved with. But you know, it's so interesting. I, I have to point this out. My life is so grand uh, that I forgot tomorrow is the launch of office hours. It is the 21st birthday of, of, you know, my middle daughter. Yep. Um, yep. And I'm going to be with my whole family celebrating tomorrow. Uh, for, as you know, it starts tonight, actually, I'm going to start celebrating, but it's so funny how, you know, the values of my life have changed so much that I could forget one of the most significant uh, professional accomplishments that I've been able to produce in my career. Uh, and I'm very satisfied that I forgot about it uh, yep. because I, you know, really know that I'm living my life the right way when my daughter's 21st birthday is overwhelming every other thing that's blessed in my life. And I'm so happy, though, that you reminded everyone because I would not want people to miss out on that so that someday <laughs> they'll tell me, Dave, I don't watch the show because I'm hanging out with my kids. I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with me forgetting because I'm going to hang out with my kids as well and my beautiful wife. So thanks for reminding us about the show, Blaine. 
Love you, buddy. Love you too. <laughs> Thank you. All right, everyone. Let's just celebrate everything celebratable, even the unstoppable celebration we can celebrate. Uh, so make sure we uh, utilize. Uh, we had extraordinary uh, event raising money at the launch party. And I appreciate Blaine and everyone joining us for tomorrow. We got free training at 7 a.m. Pacific time on all the different platforms. Over 66,000 people registered. And even more over than that, I have my daughter's birthday, 21st birthday, Mia. Happy early birthday. And, of course, Office Hours launch on Apple TV. It's a must-see TV. I'm not sure I can say that with the competitors or whatever. I stole that line from someone. Anyway, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to yourself and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. It's going to be a huge day. We love you. Peace.